the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Our second reading comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Listen, the message of the cross is foolishness to human wisdom. But for us, it is the wisdom and power of God. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. I'm talking to you like you are sensible people. Think about what I am saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. Look at the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifices share from the altar? What am I saying then? that food sacrificed to a false god is anything, or that a false god is anything? No, but this kind of sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be sharing in demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or should we make the Lord jealous? We aren't stronger than he is, are we? Everything is permitted, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permitted, but not all things build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Eat everything that is sold in the marketplace without asking questions about it because of your conscience. The earth and all that is in it belong to the Lord. If an unbeliever invites you to eat with them and you want to go, eat whatever is served without asking questions because of your conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat was sacrificed in a temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now, when I say conscience, I don't mean yours, but the other person's. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, 
Why should I be blamed for food I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. Don't offend either Judeans or Greeks or God's church. This is the same thing I do. I please everyone in everything I do. I don't look out for my own advantage, but I look out for many people so that they can be saved. Follow my example, just like I follow Christ's. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lights required. Helmet optional. Those were the guidelines that my friend Lauren laid out for the bike ride she had organized for a warm July evening. Lights required. Helmet optional. I looked at her, frowning. Helmet optional? I don't know much about bicycle maintenance. I don't know about the finer details of fixed gears, but I thought that helmets were a baseline. Sure, your hair sticks out at odd angles after our particularly sweaty ride, but that's the cost of keeping your brain securely in your skull. Lauren explained to me this aspect of Minneapolis bike subculture. Helmets sparked controversy. One biker's appeal to personal safety clashed with another biker's appeal to personal freedom. It's easier for everyone to agree on lights, Lauren told me because lights keep everyone safe. I think the Apostle Paul would commend this solution. He might even say that it glorifies God. Today's reading from his letter to the Corinthians concludes Paul's counsel to the church about whether or not to eat meat consecrated to gods other than the Holy One of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ. Settle this debate for us, the Corinthians had requested. They probably didn't expect him to go on for three chapters doing it. But then Paul isn't primarily interested in simplifying life to either or, yes or no. What Paul returns to again and again is the matter of freedom and giving glory to God. Loving your neighbor, it turns out, is inseparably part of the deal. The problem starts in the makelon, the marketplace, which is 
unlike any farmer's market you or I have ever been to. You can smell the macaron before you see it. Pungent odors of fish and raw meat and smoke. When you step into the covered precincts of the market, you take in the scene. Booths arranged in the round, merchants selling provisions, mostly meat, and in the middle, the shrine. That's where the smoke is coming from, where people are sharing the best portions of their purchases with the local and imperial gods. It is such a time saver. Instead of hauling a carcass across town, you can perform your religious duties on the spot. I mean, if you're Greek, you can. Those whose ancestral roots are in Judea have to find other ways to show respect to the gods since their god has forbidden sacrificing to any deities but him. So, can Christians eat meat sacrificed to one of these gods? Well, yes and no. In chapter 8, Paul states what Jews, Christians, and Muslims today would recognize as the starting place of monotheism, belief in one God. We know that a false god isn't anything in this world, Paul writes, and that there is no god except for the one god. And then he cites a creed or an ancient hymn. There is one god, the Father, from whom all things come, to whom we belong. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things exist, and through whom we live. But then, Paul throws a curveball. Granted, <laughs> there are so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. You see, Every person in the ancient Mediterranean, including folks we would call monotheists, was functionally a polytheist. Jews worship one God. Judean and Greek Christians worship one God. But of course they acknowledge that other supernatural beings exist, for the Corinthians, that's as obvious as the wetness of water. There are so-called gods, but these beings are not at the same level as the creator and sustainer and redeemer of creation. These are spiritual lightweights. They aren't deities. They're daimones. Our English word, demons, it's a loaded term. The gods of the nations aren't necessarily unclean spirits or the spawn of Satan. They're closer to spirits from Arabian folklore, 
jinn, supernatural, sometimes annoying, but ultimately subject to the Holy One who alone is God. Here, Paul writes as though he has leaned in close to you, speaking in hushed tones. Look, I know that these spirits aren't gods, and you know that these spirits aren't gods, but just last week, your sister or brother turned to the one true God to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. They still think those spirits are really gods. Do you really want them to have a crisis of faith when they see you eating meat that has been sacrificed? No, you don't. And since eating meat doesn't bring us any closer to God, I'd suggest putting the steak knife down. Paul acknowledges our freedom in Christ. Why should my freedom be judged by anyone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, Paul asks rhetorically, if I thank the creator for food, why should I be blamed? We are free. We know this. But knowledge alone does not glorify God. What glorifies God is caring for our neighbor. As Paul writes, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. For the sake of your Christ-believing neighbors who have spent their whole lives believing that they belong to idols instead of to the Father who loves them, don't eat that meat. For the sake of your neighbors who do not yet believe in Christ, who have invited you into their home to sit at their table, don't eat that meat if they tell you that it was consecrated to an idol. It is far more rude, after all, to tell your hosts that their so-called gods are demons than it is for you to feign religious abstention or vegetarianism. Oh, but how frustrating! They should know. If I explain it to them clearly, then they'll get it, right? What if I see one of them post an article on Facebook about how eating meat from the marketplace disrespects God? Well, then I have to leave a series of comments explaining why their belief is wrong. If I don't, how will they ever learn? I don't know about you, but I have never met anyone who changed their mind because of an argument on Facebook. The proverb bears repeating. No one was ever argued into the kingdom of heaven. 
we human beings need more than facts, just like we need more than bread to live. We need stories. Paul invites us into a new story. Instead of focusing on what I can or cannot do, instead of focusing on my freedom, I will look out for the well-being of you, my neighbor. Said another way, everything is permitted, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permitted, but not all things build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. What builds up the neighbor? What shows care? What does love look like for us now? These are the questions on my mind three months after shelter in place began, three months since our first remote worship service. These are the questions on my mind as the death toll from COVID-19 surpasses 120,000 people just in the United States. These questions rang in my ears when a woman at the Lodi food pantry yesterday sucked the air out of the room when she hung up the phone and told us that her four-year-old nephew had been infected with coronavirus. What builds others up? What shows care? What does love look like for us now? I keep coming back to masks and the way that we talk about them. Maybe you saw that AMC theaters recently took flack about their policy around masks. Maybe, like me, you forgot that movie theaters are still planning to debut summer blockbusters. On Thursday, AMC outlined the many safety measures it would put into place at its franchises. The, the theaters would reduce personal contact at concession stands, they'll limit seating to 30% capacity, they'll require their employees to wear masks. But outside of regions where it is required, guests were only encouraged to wear masks. As CEO Adam Aaron explained, AMC had hoped to avoid political controversy. That's the story that we're in right now, wearing an uncomfortable piece of fabric is a political controversy. And Aaron was right. 
immediately an intense outcry against AMC's policies crashed over the theater chain, a, a tidal wave of righteous fury. A day later, AMC changed its policy. That's politics for you. Politics are all about mobilizing power, people power, the power of the dollar to make something happen. Doubtless there are now people decrying AMC's bowing to pressure and its betrayals of the ideals of liberty. Perhaps a wiser person than I can see light in this back and forth. As for me, I can only feel heat. Personally, I believe AMC made the right decision to require mask wearing. I trust the researchers at the Centers for Disease Control who stress how wearing a cloth mask can reduce the number of infections. I was prepared to trust the World Health Organization when they suggested that people not showing symptoms might not be significant spreaders of the virus. I trusted them when they walked back that claim. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a biologist. I am sympathetic to the concerns of folks who find it difficult to breathe while wearing a mask. And I am pretty sure that my homemade masks are not meant to be worn all day. They are certainly not a substitute for medical grade PPE. But I am a human being created by the author of life to make sense of things with stories. And I find myself willing to trust that mask wearing will help curb the spread of the virus because I believe the story that Paul is telling. I believe it is the story of Jesus Christ, whose example Paul tried to follow, however imperfectly. I believe that caring for the well-being of my neighbor glorifies God. A mask, even a cloth mask, helps block droplets. It's not designed to block aerosols, which is a word that I didn't know three months ago, and which is why I won't be singing in my mask, and I'll try not to speak loudly. It's not as effective at keeping particles out, which means that I don't wear a mask to protect myself. I wear a mask because I trust that it protects you, my neighbor. Not completely, not perfectly, but better than nothing at all. I might come to learn that I am in fact wrong and that cloth masks are not useful in slowing down this pandemic. 
if that day comes, my ego might start rallying a defense. Hopefully it's not too puffed up by knowledge so that it won't deflate too dramatically. I pray that if I learn that I am wrong, I will keep caring for the well-being of my neighbor as best I can with the best facts available to me. The facts may well change. The story does not. It is the story of the creator who entrusted the world to our care, not ours to own, but ours to nurture in the name of the Holy One. It is the story of the sustainer who provided manna in the wilderness and water from the rock, who strengthens us to step forward when we want to shrink back. It is the story of the Redeemer who chose to be emptied of divine power and status in order to pursue us in human weakness, whose wisdom is confounding, whose cross has set us free. The story we share is God's story, whose heart rejoices when we use our freedom to serve and when we build up a community of love. Freedom, after all, is a gift, just as hope and faith are heaven-sent gifts. But the greatest of all gifts is love. And love is at the heart of our story. For such love and such grace let us give all glory and gratitude to God, from whom all things come, through whom we live, to whom we belong, body and soul. Amen. <laughs>